Father, we thank you for the, the excitement of a new year, uh, the refreshing nature of, of a clean start, uh, and the fresh enthusiasm and fresh focus that that can often bring. Uh, and yet, Lord, we understand that it doesn't make circumstances easier. And so, Lord, we remember those who are maybe struggling. Lord, we have those in our church who are sick, uh, and they struggle to get out, and they struggle to... Um, be a part of it and they feel isolated and so Lord we, we remember them tonight we pray for them and Lord we would ask that even as they maybe sit at home and they, they channel hop TV wishing that they could be anywhere else but home Lord I pray that even by your spirit you draw near to them and let them know that we're, we're thinking about them and we're praying for them and that we know that our church family isn't quite complete without them here Lord, we also know that there's those who are, who are stressed and are working hard, whether it's because the, the job is very intense and there's pressure and there's deadlines or simply because of, of circumstances and there's single parents and, and there's, there's different things happening and there's just lots on. And so, Lord, we, we remember that in our church there are people and they're, and they're juggling a lot of balls and there's a lot of things up in the air. Lord, we just we pray that even in this moment, Lord, in this, this time together, as we pray, as we get ready to worship you, Lord, that you bring a stillness, you bring a calmness, you bring a peace that comes from resting in your presence. And so, Lord, even if it's one of those rare occasions in the week, Lord, in this space, Lord, help us to focus to see you clearly, Lord, that you might speak to us, Lord, that we might hear you. Lord, that that might help us in the week that lies ahead, that you would have strength to face the trials and the challenges and the, the early starts with the school runs tomorrow again and all the rest of it. Lord, we pray that uh, whatever the needs are in this room, we come to a God who's fully aware of each and every one. So we're not here to hide, we're not here to pretend. Lord, we would simply ask that you would meet us. And our greatest need is to spend time with you, to soak in your presence, and to be conscious that of who you are. And so, Lord, we, we just ask that in this moment you, you'll help us to do that. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Let's go. 13, verse 8. Uh, Sophie shared it with the, the boys and girls th this morning uh, as part of the kids talk and uh, it's a very simple verse uh, but it's just a wonderfully profound one Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever there's something exciting and refreshing about a new year an optimism of a fresh calendar if you go to a restaurant uh, Ruth and I took advantage of uh, there being no prayer meeting on Thursday night and we headed out for well, I got dragged around Ikea, but my reward was then we got out for dinner afterwards, and the plethora of salads that were being served around to, to the other tables, not my table, but to the, was, was incredible. Everyone was on the, uh, saying, oh, well, you know, I, I'll, I'll have the salad, and that's me being healthy. The gyms are packed full of people who are uh, working towards their goals and trying to make it happen one calorie at a time, one millimeter off the waistline at a time. January the 1st is a day where many wait expectantly to get the prior year behind them. And it's a new page in a story that continues to unfold in front of us. And it's exciting. A new year is exciting. The hype tends to die down soon enough. 
uh, real life sets in, uh, then the goal, the, well, at least the progress in the goals slows down a wee bit. We maybe miss a day in our Bible reading, and then one day becomes maybe two days, and two days becomes three days, and soon before we know it, we've spent less time in the Word than in the Word. And uh, it's a cycle maybe that we tend to repeat every year. Uh, but with the Holy Spirit's help, I, I know that we can break those cycles that we maybe fall into. Now, the truth is that in a new year, we must keep at the forefront of our minds as we work towards resolutions and as we maybe look to make positive changes is that God hasn't changed. He's the same who he was. And each year maybe holds different challenges and different struggles, losses, and maybe new lessons and new opportunities to learn, to grow. Life will have roller coasters. And this year ahead will be no different. Sometimes it will feel maybe like it's standing still. And of course, human nature is such that when you're in the roller coaster, you just want things to stand still. And then when you're standing still, you get frustrated and nothing happening and life feels stagnant. And we always want the other thing that's happening. We are constantly changing. Life is never the same for too long. However, God doesn't change. He doesn't shift when the world does. He doesn't sleep when we lay our heads down on the pillow. He doesn't change the truth whenever, by the time we've woken up. In each new year, God is the same. And that's what I want to anchor our thoughts in this evening. Because this time last year, uh, going into 2019, oh boy, I was ambitious. I had so many different plans and visions. Some were small wee changes that I thought could maybe add up to a big change. Others were big visions, and I thought, this is going to be the year. And none of them happened. Absolutely none of them happened. As a matter of fact, I could honestly say that by the time I got to January, I'd kind of given up on most of them. But here we go. There are some things that Sorry, I was, I was trying to rewrite something there as I was talking, and it wasn't working. Sorry. It should be something that I should really try to resolve to do next year. Some things never change. God is one of those things that we can anchor ourselves in. However, as the year goes on, I think there's some things that I want us to just grab hold of. Because if God doesn't change, it seems reasonable for me to assume then that the things that he wants from me haven't changed either. It would seem reasonable for me to assume that the things that God has called on me to do and to perform and to be, whether it's in Scripture or whether it's through the revelation of his word speaking to me and in the circumstances and the context and the specifics of that, those haven't changed because God hasn't changed. the God who so loved the world when he gave us his son, that event we celebrated just last week at Christmas time, the same love that moved God to do that is the same love that, that, that he has for us now. And we talked a lot about this this morning, that God is still for us the way that he always has been. And so moving that forward then, the same plans that he has for us, even whenever he formed you in your mother's womb, is still the same plans that he has for you now. 
because no sin is big enough to thwart the plans that God has for us. No sin is more powerful than he is. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and nothing can thwart a sovereign God. Now, I do not know what this year will hold for us as a church. I do know that in the autumn, we'll be 25 years old as a church. We'll maybe have a birthday party, have some cake. But I also know that with the blessings will come trials. There will be mountaintop experiences, and there will be times whenever we need to get in the trenches with people, and we need to get our heads down and just plow through and get through, because that's human nature. Sometimes we just have to do that for people who have to get in there and get alongside people. So never ever think, though, that God has changed his mind about you. Turn with me to Romans 7 and 8. Now, this is not going to be an in-depth study of of Romans, uh, but the first seven chapters are this wonderful, wonderful, detailed explanation of the power of sin and the consequences of sin. And Paul lays it all out in those first uh, couple of chapters. And even when he's talking about his own experiences in chapter 7, even as a Christian, in, in verse 15 he says, even now I don't understand what I'm doing. I don't understand my life sometimes. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do. He says, there's stuff that I know is wrong. There's stuff, but I feel like I'm compelled to it. And, you know, I don't know enough about the private life of Paul, but that almost sounds kind of like an addiction. It sounds like there was something that he just couldn't, there was this thing that he kept going back to. He admits that being saved frees him from the punishment of sin, but it doesn't free him from the presence of sin in his life. He still wrestles with his resolve because even when he knows it's wrong, he still finds himself there again and again and again, and he hates himself for it, but he goes, this is is part of it. And then he keeps going in verse 19, because not only does he not do the things that he wants to do, says, but I don't do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if you just want a summary of what it's like trying to keep New Year's resolutions, there it is in those two verses, right? I want to be healthy, but the things that I do, I don't do. I, 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 I want to I stop gossiping so much, but the things that I don't want to do, I keep on doing. It kind of feels like it's a good summary of New Year's resolutions. We have this desire, we have this resolve to set about doing what is right, but we're so inconsistent because we have this bent that's still in us towards the things that we know we shouldn't have a bent towards. And yet he finishes this chapter, chapter 7 in Romans saying, in, in verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. And then we go straight into chapter 8 in the very next verse. And then we read, therefore, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I love that. I absolutely love that. I mess up. I make mistakes. But I'm in Christ and there's still no condemnation. Satan will love 
to come alongside and say that there's no way God would love you after all those stuff, all that stuff you've done, all that stuff that you're still doing, or that, that there's no way that He would want to use you. There's no way He even could use you if He wanted to use you. Not after what you've done, not after what you've said. Look at it. Look at the mess you've made of things. I know the thoughts that you're thinking, and if anyone else knew about them, they'd be disgusted. I know the stuff that lingers in there. Frankly, you're probably the reason that people aren't getting saved in the church. And trust me, that's the stuff that gets whispered just into my head. But I bet it's the same as stuff that goes around your head. Satan's a powerful enemy, but he uses the same tactic time and time again. Which, by the way, is so important then for us to be praying together this week. <laughs> and encouraging one another in the place of prayer, and to be praying for one another in the place of prayer. Do not let the enemy think that you've got nothing. Don't let the enemy make you think that you've got nothing to offer God. God has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means we can go out in confidence and say, I believe, I know, I am confident that God still has a plan for me. God can still use me, and I can still do it for God. Even though I still struggle sometimes, He does not struggle in sustaining me. He does not struggle to love me. He does not struggle to accept me. Maybe sometimes he struggles to get me to listen. But I am sustained by his power. I'm sustained by his grace. And so folks, listen, right at the very start, I need you to get this, that it may be a new year, but God hasn't changed. How he feels for you hasn't changed. Don't let Satan whisper those things in and start thinking, well, maybe it's a new relationship that I have with God. No, no, no you're saved it's still the same relationship Psalm 54 verse 4 says behold God is my helper and the Lord is the upholder of my life he's not someone who wants you to make feel small he's not someone who wants to squeeze you and burden you and weigh you down with guilt and to-do lists rather he wants to hold you up so may this be, and this may be a new year, but I want you to know God hasn't changed his calling on your life. He still has a plan for you. He still has a purpose for you. He still has a reason for you. So don't, don't give up on that. Don't let your, the sin and the mistakes of your life say, well then, that's me done. I've, I've got no use. God still has a plan for your life. His calling on your life is still the same. So we have a new year, but there's also new opportunities. Some of you will have made New Year's resolutions and others will not have bothered. I I understand that. Uh, Some of you will have been optimistic with your resolutions. Um, Others maybe a wee bit more realistic. Others will have been really specific. Um, You know, and so if you say, all right, I'm not going to have any more fizzy drinks. Well, I mean, you know. By fizzy drinks, I really meant fizzy drinks from McDonald's, you know, or I'm going to cut down on the coffee. What what it meant was, you know, coffee shops, 
on Mondays. And we start to get really specific to try and work our way around it because we're falling into old habits. But every New Year's resolution is a choice. It's a choice. It's a conscious choice. And it's a reflection on our priorities of the year ahead. Uh, some of you may have chosen to focus on your health and fitness, or at least maybe some have chosen to focus on the waistline. Others will have chosen instead to finances and getting finances in order, or at least in the healthier order. Um, others maybe it's about work-life balances and it's different things like that. Spend time with family or spend time with parents, spend time with kids, spend time with grandkids, whatever it happens to be. Now, of course, that's a choice. None of those are bad choices, uh, but we, we make these decisions based on what we feel is the most important, uh, and that, that's fine. That's fine. If you're going to prioritize your health, that's important. Your health is important. You should make sure that you look after your health. It's important that your finances are in good order. Of course, that's important. If you need to prioritize that, then, then prioritize that. If you need to spend time with family members or, or friends and make time for that, prioritize that, of course. But as Christians, we see a God who does not change, and we know that his priorities have not changed. The Great Commission is so called because it is the great call of God on our lives, on every Christian's life. It is not the minor commission. It's the Great Commission. It's not the, well, get around to it one day. If you can commission, it's the Great Commission. Although so often, perhaps when you look at our lives, maybe it's the great omission. Christ told us to go into all the world and make disciples. Why? Well, we're told why time and time again. But let me use the words of 1 Timothy 2 that says, He desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's why. That's why it's the Great Commission, because God wants to see people, their lives changed. He wants to see them saved. He doesn't want to see people condemned. He wants to see them restored because such is his love for them. And I think this is the most wonderful thing, that, that, that saved people get to tell other people about salvation. Forgiven people get to tell other people where they can find forgiveness. Found people can, can tell lost people how to get home. God could just pull back the sky and shout in from heaven every couple of weeks just to scare us enough back into shape. But he doesn't do that. Because that would be an obedience on our part based on fear. It wouldn't be worship based on love. And that's where God's heart is. He wants us to love him. He wants us to appreciate him wants to recognize who he is and be in awe of that. And so if you've ever wondered why he doesn't just open the sky and, and shout at us or, or, or reveal anything like that, that's the reason. He doesn't want us to respond in fear. He wants us to respond in love. He wants the created to choose to love the creator. He doesn't want to force it. Uh, it has to be willing for it to be real love. 
And so we have this great calling on our lives. And as a church, we want to try and support missions across the globe. We want to be training up people like, like Matthew who can then go on to Aberdeen and to serve. Of course, we want to do that. We want to do that time and time and time again. We want to add to the laborers in the harvest. Although, let me say something that maybe doesn't sound very Christian, but let me then explain it and you can understand where I'm coming from. The church must seek to win people for Christ in every tribe, tongue, and nation. But this church's priority isn't people in Croatia. It's not people in Mali or India or even Belfast. That's not our priority. Our priority is to win the people round about us. people who, who needs to focus on Croatia is the church in Croatia or the church in Mali, the church in India, the churches in Belfast. We are called to serve and to work in our area. The people in the houses here that are within walking distance, the people who are in our own homes, the people who we work with, the children on our doorstep, the friends that we cycle with, the run with, craft with, play football with, whatever it happens to be, the people we go for coffee with, these are the people that we must prioritize. These are the people that we have the opportunity to reach. Therefore, we must say, right, I am resolved this year to reach them. New year, same opportunities. But maybe we need a renewed determination. Say, I'm going to get back these people. I'm going to invite them to come along to church. I'm going to make that effort to invite them along again. Or, Or even those other Christians that maybe aren't so enthusiastic anymore. I don't see them about. They're not involved. I'm going to, I'm going to get, get alongside them and I'm going to try and enthuse them again. I'm going to keep sharing my faith when it's appropriate. Because these people mean so much to me and I want to see them saved. I want to see them going on. But let's not pretend that there's not opportunities. Let's not pretend that there's no one who we can be sharing the gospel with. Same opportunities are there, folks. Proverbs 11, verse 30 says, He who wins souls is wise. And 1 Corinthians 9, 19 says, I'll make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. And so, and what he's talking about is legalism. There. He's saying, if I have to put on all these extra rules and regulations to make a difference, fine. If I have to bend over backwards, if I have to do some customs, if I, fine. I'm not going to let anything stop me from sharing the gospel. Hell is real. You've got to take this seriously. And I honestly believe that as a church, God's not going to start opening up new opportunities for us until we start taking the opportunities that are there in front of us. It's a new year, but we've got the same opportunities, folks. Having said that, we've got a new year. We've got the same challenges. Because that's exactly where your mind went to, isn't it? Says Jeff, but that's not easy. Yeah. Those same challenges, those same barriers that put us off talking to people are going to be there still. In Matthew 8, 
a, a scribe approaches Jesus to tell him that he would go wherever Jesus would go. And in the next verse, Jesus responds and says, The foxes have dens and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That was Jesus' way of, of asking a very potent question. He basically saying, Okay, look, that's great, but have you considered the cost of following me? Do you understand what you're saying when you say that? 2020 will not be easier to follow Jesus Christ than it was last year. In our country, we will have new legislation coming into place. And same-sex marriages and abortions will very likely become commonplace by this time next year. How we respond is crucial. I've said this before. Both lives matter when it comes to the abortion issue, which means that our tone must welcome the mother who has allowed her child's life to be taken, that she too can come into the church and be among God's people and feel loved and hear the grace of the gospel that says you can be forgiven, that, that, that there is forgiveness to be found. And we must be able to speak to a group of people who seem so anti-Christian and so anti-religion, who love to define themselves by who they uh, have affection for. The church must not respond in anger. It cannot respond in anger or disgust or bitterness. We must speak in love. We must stand for truth, absolutely, but we must stand for that truth in love love. We are called to love the lost, whoever they are, wherever their path is taking them. It'll not be easy. It could leave us feeling isolated as a church, marginalized maybe individually uh, where we work or, or study. We might feel like being the minority because we will be the minority. There are challenges from last year that will carry on into this year. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in Matthew 10, our unchanging Savior said, Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Can you grasp the heaviness of that? Can you grasp the heaviness of that statement? Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. That's a hard call. That's a challenge. But it's the same challenge that we've been called to our entire lives. And yet I rejoice in the fact that God does not leave us without help or comfort in that challenge. Isaiah 40 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths will faint and grow weary, and young men will fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up their wings like eagles. Like eagles, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's not going to be easy. But our God has not changed, and He is still able to meet every single need in every single circumstance that we face in the next year. 
That's where you say amen. If you take on the challenges of this new year by yourself, it will overwhelm you. You will burn out. It will be too much. But our faithful, unchanging, sovereign God will supply our need if we seek Him, if we wait upon the Lord. A new year, the same calling. God's plan for you is still the same. Your sin has not changed that. New year, same opportunities. There are people around us that need to hear the gospel. Don't worry about Croatia and India and everywhere else. Let's focus on the people that we can reach right now. New Year, same challenges. There is a cost to swimming against the flow. I always remember as a teenager, there was a... I can't remember where it came from for the life of me, but there's an old saying that only dead fish swim with the flow. Or swim with the current, whatever it is. Only dead fish go with the current. Can I give you one more as we finish? A new year, but we've got the same message. The gospel message is the same message it has always been. That there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. It is Christ alone. It's not by works, it's not by merit, it's not by church attendance, it's not by parenting decisions, it's not about changing the outside with New Year's resolutions and kind of putting a a, a frilly kind of uh, face on the thing. It's not about trying harder, but it is by being born again. And when the old you is, isn't changed, but is rather just killed off, and a new you emerges, one who is in Christ, that's the gospel. And the temptation by many is to try and take it and to change the message, to tweak it, to update it, to shift the emphasis, maybe even tame down its implications. So we'll not talk about, well, what happens if you reject this message? It'll not talk about the fact that we start that we are dead in sin. It's not that, well, one day you will maybe die in your sin. It's the fact that, no, we are dead in sin. And that Christ is the only way from death to life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The gospel isn't simply trying to get people to sort of get to a place where, well, maybe if I can just get them to think about things, that's the gospel. No, it's not. You can tell someone that God loves them, which is true. God does love them, whoever they are, whatever they've done. It doesn't matter. God loves them. We know that. But that's not enough to save them. It's not the gospel. Of course, on the same side of it, and you see it sometimes when you're driving around the country and you see we verses put up on lamp posts and different things and. You know, it basically just says that you're a terrible sinner. Well, that's not the gospel either. It, it could be true. It's not the gospel. 
The gospel is good news. Telling people that they're condemned isn't good news. The news is that all have sinned. Yes. But all are loved. And all can be forgiven if they come to Christ. If they repent. If they put their trust in Him. Because God alone, Christ alone, has made a way where there was no way before. Folks, can I encourage you as a church, as individuals, make sure you know the gospel well enough that you can share it with other people. Make sure you've got three or four verses memorized so that you can quote them and point people to them. All right? The worst thing that you can be doing is saying, oh, getting the phone out and saying, all right, hold on, let me, oh, I have to Google, Siri, could you tell me a good gospel Bible verse? No. If this is the most important message, we should at least have that message to call to mind. Or even if, if you don't have all the theology down, well, if you're saved, at least you know what God has done to you. You know your story. You were there. So get it down to maybe three minutes. This was something I challenged the, the folks going to Croatia with. Make sure that you can tell your testimony in three minutes. Boil it right down. And get to a point where you can share so that it's a conversation and not a sermon. Because the last thing anyone asked, oh, I didn't even really ask this question, and now they've been talking for 25 minutes. Isn't that really annoying when someone just stands up and talks for 25 minutes? Try to do it without all the complicated jargon. People have said to me, oh, Jeff, I, I, can, I wouldn't know how to use all those big words. No, 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 no. You're on the right track. Don't use all the big words. Because the people that you're trying to speak to, they don't know those big words either. They don't know them. Don't confuse it. The, the gospel is something that is simple enough for a child to understand and respond to. The worst thing we can do is complicate it and muddy the world. Don't make it hard for people to come in. Keep it simple. Keep it short. Keep it sweet. Let me finish with a story. It's one that I've shared maybe, I suppose maybe, started last year as well. You'll, you'll maybe click with it whenever I start. Dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often happen. There was a little small lifeboat station. The building was just a hut. It was run down. It was starting to rot. It was in bad condition. There was only one boat, but there was a few really devoted members that kept constant watch over the sea. They didn't really think too much of themselves, and they went out sacrificially every time that there was a, a crash tirelessly searching to rescue anyone who was out there in the water. Some of the people who had been rescued were sympathetic towards the, the little lifeboat team and they wanted to become associated with it and give of their time and give of their money and give of their effort to support the work. So in time, there was a new smart boat that was, that was bought and there were new crews trained and so now there were two boats and two teams going out and the little lifeboat station grew. As time went on, some members of the lifeboat station were unhappy that the building wasn't quite fit for purpose and wasn't quite equipped right. So they felt a more comfortable, um, a bigger place uh, should be provided as a first refuge for those who come in from the sea. 
So they replaced the emergency hammocks with nice beds and put furniture in an enlarged building. They made sure they could offer everyone tea and coffee and a nice donut at all times. Now the lifeboat station was becoming quite popular uh, as a gathering place for its teams and for its members. They decorated, they painted it, they made sure there was new carpet down, they furnished it really quite nicely. They kind of used it as a meeting place, a social club. Fewer people maybe were now just as interested in going actually out into the water on those missions. So they hired professionals to do it for them. As long as they funded it, they'd send out uh, the, the professionals to take care of things for them. Life-saving pictures and mementos decorated the club's walls. There was a lifeboat model in the room where official club meetings were held. And this time there was a large shipwreck just off of the coast. And the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold and wet and half-drowned people. They were dirty, they were sick and came from multitude of different countries. Their health was not good. The beautiful new club was in chaos. The property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where all the victims could be cleaned up before they came into their nice building. At the next meeting, there was a split in the membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities since they were unpleasant and hindrance, and you didn't really know what kind of person you were going to be bringing in to your clubhouse. It was getting in the way of the fellowship of the group. A few members insisted that life-saving was the purpose and pointed out that they were still called a lifeboat station, but they were outvoted and told that if you wanted to be interested in that kind of a work, go set up a different lifeboat station. They did. As the years went by, similar changes took place to the new station as well. It slowly became a club, and yet another lifeboat station was founded, and another, and another, and another. History continued to repeat itself on that coast today and you'll see a line of very exclusive clubs along the coastline. Shipwrecks still happen in those waters and most of the people still drown. Folks, there's very little point of us as a church saying that it's important that we pray or we don't bother praying. It's important that we're about the mission of seeking and saving those who are lost. We're not actually all that active in seeking those who are lost. There's very little point in us saying that we are a gospel-believing, gospel-preaching, gospel-teaching church. It's the only people doing it are the elected people in leadership. Our message has not changed. Because our God has not changed. We must be people who know what our purpose is and set about to do it. We are not called to be in the business of um, running a club. We're not in the business of trying to please everyone. We are in the business of rescuing those who are dying in sin by telling them of the message that Jesus Christ can save them. May our church not become a clubhouse where we come together, where we socialize and we have tea and coffee and we eat our caramel squares 
and then we pat each other on the back because well done, we have a great crowd out there. There's a new year, folks. And I hope we have a new resolve and new desire, but we can rejoice. We have the same God. And what he has called us to, what he has called us for, has not changed. And even though we change, and even though it's always hard to kind of always stay focused, Second Timothy reminds us that even when we are faithless, he abideth faithful. And so uh, maybe this wasn't the message that you were expecting tonight. Uh, it, it's a challenge to me. I hope it's a challenge to you. One that you're ready to accept, one that you're ready to take on. It's a new year. We've got the same calling on our lives. We've got the same opportunities. Yes, there are the same challenges, but we have the same message. And that message is the power of God onto salvation. It is effective. It is good. It doesn't need to be changed. It doesn't need to be tweaked. That gospel is a powerful gospel. Let's not be ashamed. Let's not hide behind other things. Let's stand on it. Let's be bold. Let's be bold. I'm going to sing uh, another piece. And uh, actually, what I'll do is I'll, I'll pray and then I'll ask the musicians to go up and then we can head on down to uh, supper afterwards. Let's pray, folks. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do not change. Uh, even when we are inconsistent, you are consistent. And so, Lord, I pray, whatever the year ha happens, Lord, help us to remain engaged and enthused and excited, Lord, that you still have a plan for us, that you haven't given up on us, and that you still are, are longing for us to fulfill the plans that you have called us to. And Lord, we are not short of opportunities. So, Lord, I pray, help us. Help us in this. Give us this, that strength. Give us that resolve. Give us that focus. And Lord, even whenever it is going well or if it's going not so well, Lord, we remember those words of Isaiah 40, that you give strength to the weak, you, that you, you'll be there and you'll supply it and you'll meet the need. Lord, I pray, help us to fix our eyes on you. And as a church, Lord, save us from a clubhouse mentality. Lord, may we be about the business of rescue. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Musicians, please come and uh, close the